0: All right, well, let's, um, let's carry on with our, our message series. We started last week in a series called Running the Race, and we're going to camp now for the next four weeks in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to find Hebrews chapter 12. If you're not in the habit of bringing a Bible, whether it's paper, digital or otherwise, just love for you uh, to get in the habit of having a Bible with you at church. All right. So as you find Hebrews twelve, let me just bring you up to speed where we were last week. As we talked about being at the starting line, and we said you got to know where you're starting in your spiritual life so that you know kind of what steps and how to grow. Uh, you can't just um, kind of figure, well, you know, I've been in church for for you know 25 years, so therefore I'm I'm mature in Christ. We said no. There's stages in your development. And sometimes we get stuck at one or, you know, one of these stages when we should be growing. And we, so we talked about the first stage is that, is that you're unborn. You're, you haven't been born yet. And J- Jesus said to, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again, a spiritual birth that needs to happen. And, and that comes by faith in Christ. And then once that happens, you're an infant. You're a newborn. And infants are fundamentally helpless. They need you to do everything for them. They, they, were, they usually don't even say thank you. They just they just eat and make a mess and and that's it and you love doing it because they're a newborn you just love it and then but we expect growth to continue to happen and some of you have reached the place where you're you're a child you're a, a a child in Christ the child is. The, the good thing is a child is kind of full of wonder and, and excitement and so on. The, the, the downside is children are fundamentally selfish. It, kind of everything revolves around them. That's just how they're wired. It's, about, it's kind of in our nature to be like, hey, it's about me and what do I want and what's comfortable for me and I, do I get my way and all those things. Many Christians, in fact, I would say most kind of get stuck in the child stage. Then we're invited to continue to grow into the young adult stage. So young adults are fundamentally hungry. They love to eat, but they're consuming spiritually. They're consuming, they're growing, they're, they're developing kind of new kind of perspectives and grasping the scripture and, and, and learning to, to share with others. And, and a young adult stage is just a really wonderful stage of growth. And the last stage we talked about is the parent stage, where you're now responsible for birthing life in others, You're mentoring others, you're discipling others, you're helping others to grow in their faith. Instead of thinking about yourself or being responsible for yourself, you're primarily responsible for someone else. That's the role of a parent. Everything about a parent is is like for their kids. And they're okay with that. You don't, and you know, you're not like me, me, me. You're like others, others, others. So those are the stages. So one of those, or one or more of those stages, maybe... You, as you see that, you like, I just was challenging you to say, okay, where am I so that I know where I need to go? How do I continue to grow? How do I continue to develop? And I want you to be honest about your self-assessment. All right, so then let's move on from that. In Hebrews chapter 12, you've been sitting for a while, so let's stand together. We're just going to read the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through 3. And... We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Many people suspect it's the Apostle Paul, some think Peter, but we actually don't know. There's no authorship claimed for the book, so uh, we'll just call the writer of Hebrews. He writes this, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for his word. By the way, someone told me this week that I probably need to let you know uh, I, I, there's a sort of point at about seven minutes past the hour where there's a lot of nervousness in the congregation. I see a lot of looking at wristwatches and everything. It used to be, Bethany Church, we were going about an hour, a little over an hour. We typically go till quarter past. So it's an hour and a quarter. So just relax. <laughs> so at about... 18 past, You can start looking nervously at your watch. How about that? All right. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, the emphasis verse that we're going to look at today at the first part of, uh, chapter, of verse 1, which says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, I want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you're not the first one. You're not the first person to believe in Jesus. You won't be the last. And you're not alone. You are surrounded. Not only here by this crowd of witnesses, but you're surrounded globally and you're surrounded throughout history. And they're even captured for us in this book, the Bible. In some countries, we know that believers have a very hard time finding each other. They're they're so persecuted. They live in such secret lives. They virtually live alone as a believer. But that's even for them. When they have the word, when they have scripture, they know, I'm not alone. I'm not the first person to go through what I'm going through. I'm not the first person to enter the life of faith. And we say because we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, it's like this. You think about a sports team that, you know, if it's basketball, it's on the court, or if it's polo, it's in the pool, or whatever, or it's ice hockey, or you, you love having home court advantage. Now, I gotta say, I was a little bit nervous about coming back, because the Sunday before I left, I did say Raptors and Six. And that's what happened in the NBA Finals. And I'm not saying I'm a prophet or anything. Because I, I didn't, I got it wrong with the Sharks. But, but everybody thought in game five, when they're in Toronto, that, that Toronto should have had the game. Why? Because it was home court advantage. That's typically what you said. The team wants to be on their home court, home field, home pool, home, whatever it is. That's where we want to be, because that's, that's where we have those witnesses. We have those fans. We have those spectators around us. And then that's what we're, that 's what we're the image that we have here. I want you just to take you back into chapter eleven and uh, sir, you can go back to the to the verse uh, one I have just put that up on there. but if you think about verse chapter eleven what what the writer has done he 's given us this whole catalogue of great people of faith throughout history. He talks about Abel, and he talks about Enoch, and he talks about Noah and Abraham and and even Sarah, and he talks about um, Isaac and Joseph. He talks just goes through one after the other. And these great kind of positions that they had as people of great faith. And some of them you think, really, Samson, you get to be in there? He he was a pretty messed up dude. But we include David and Samuel. he, He talks about all the ways they suffered and the hardship they went through. And, and he's he's saying, look, as a believer in Jesus, you've got home court advantage. You're on the home field. You've got these fans they are in the stands. You're not on. You're not. It's not an away game. It's a home game. And, and, and I, I don't want you to think about this. Oh, wow. They're like ghosts they are floating around us. No, I don't want you to think about that. And no, I understand they're not physically present, but they're alive and they speak. If nothing else, they speak through the word and they speak through the through the course of history to us. The writer of Hebrews says that we're the fact that he says that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses speaks to a very important um, reality of the Christian life that there is an eternal life. If they're witnesses, it means they're alive. Those of you who are involved in the in the legal system, you know that you cannot have a dead witness. There's a witness, you know, like every, you know, all those, all those movies where they're like trying to keep the witnesses alive because if the mob could just kill the witnesses, then they're gonna get away with the crime, right? And that's like kind of the whole premise of these movies. But, but they they gotta have a, a living witness. Well, or, or you know, it's even on a, maybe as a, a video tape, a video recorded testimony about a person giving their testimony a witness has to be alive you can't have a dead witness and he say we have witnesses they're alive why because there's eternal life the day comes when we will be gathered up with the saints we will encounter these people we they are living witnesses around us and they're testifying to the life of faith but these these spectators these witnesses are are more than fans they're more than just like yay you go They're not just up there. They've also run the race. They've also been through the game. These saints of old, they're in Scripture. They become our mentors in the faith in addition to being our cheerleaders in the faith. You can do this. Keep running. Keep going. Don't give up. Have faith. It's a bit like in sports when, you know, once in a while there'll be like a retired player from the team and they're in the stands and they always show, hey, so-and-so's here. Hey, Wayne Gretzky's here at the game tonight. And like, hey, right? He's a, he's a player, but he's also a spectator. Like, oh, wow. That's what we have. They've played the game. They've run the race. They're in the stands. They're cheering you on. Now, let's go back to that sports metaphor again. you You've got a player, let's say it's it's basketball, The, the player on the court looks to the coach for direction, right? That would be the equivalent of us. I'm watching Jesus for how do I live? What do I do? Jesus, give me direction for my life. But they also look to the stands for encouragement and support. Sometimes they're a little cocky about it, but we'll overlook that for the purpose of this illustration, right? We look to Jesus. For our instruction, for our direction, but but we look to the crowd of witnesses for our encouragement and support. So we have the advantage of fans who are also our mentors. Now you think not only in Hebrews 11, but you want to ask, like, who else is in my cloud of witnesses? Maybe you have other influencers, other mentors. Do you, do you listen to them? Do you listen to your Mentors, your leaders, a pastor figure in your life. Do you submit to the the good guidance and counsel they're offering you? Even good friends can be part of your cloud of witnesses, actually for the better or for worse. I'm slowly, very slowly reading through Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. He uses a lot of big words and so I have to go slow. I'm talking big words I've never seen before. Psychological words like, wow. Wow. But I'm getting through it, slowly. I'm on rule five. But rule three, he says, in his twelve rules for life, he says, make friends with people who want your best. Make friends with people who want the best for you. It's great, it's great, it's simple advice, it's simple guidance. That's part of what we're doing. We're surrounding ourselves with people, even in your own life. Make friends with people who want what's good for you, who, who are gonna Elevate you and not drag you down. How are you being mentored? How are you being mentored? It might be in person. It might be through podcasts or YouTube. Maybe you're reading good books. Maybe you're listening to messages online. Maybe you're being mentored on Netflix and Facebook and Game of Thrones. You're being mentored somewhere you have a cloud of witnesses that you're following somewhere. Make sure you're looking to the right ones. The best mentors are in here, in God's Word, in Scripture. Back in chapter 11, you read about Noah. Well, if you were to go read about Noah, you learn how to handle big challenges in your life. Maybe you'd read about Joseph and you'd understand about integrity and, and running away from temptation. Maybe you'd Read the story of Ruth and you'd learn about loyalty and, and what to do when when life really leads you through hardship. Maybe you'd read through David and you'd you'd learn a lot of lessons from David, but one might be, what what do you do when you're really so discouraged and you don't know how to carry on? Maybe you'd be mentored by Esther on having courage in impossible circumstances. Or you might look to Samuel or Deborah or Mary or Peter or Priscilla. They'll all mentor you. They'll teach you things. There's even some bad examples. I was once told by a wise man, he said, no life is wasted. You can always serve as a bad example. (laughs) There's bad examples in here, too. Amazing guys that are listed in the catalog of faith, a guy like Samson, who made so many huge blunders. You learn what not to do. You could say the same thing about Gideon. You could say the same thing about David. Friends, you're being watched. You're being observed. You're being supported. You're being applauded by a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. Not literally, but they're here in Scripture. And know that the saints aren't praying for you, and you don't pray to the saints, but you learn from them. You develop the habits of getting to know what's in here. Now, being watched is great if you're not doing anything wrong, but it's a bit bothersome if you're misbehaving, isn't it? So I'm going to give you two just two simple takeaways today. One is this. Get to know your cloud of witnesses. Get to know your cloud of witnesses. Let them mentor you. Let them cheer you on. Visualize these great people of faith. In here, and I would add on those who've gone before you. Maybe you've got a, a grandparent or a, a, a you know a relative or a friend who's just been in a, just a just a giant in the faith. Just like wow, our God's just worked amazing transformation in their life. They, they, they were this you know. And Sarah was sharing about the church where Pastor Euler is. Uh, in 2017, I was there with, with someone from our church. I guess his name was Ron Ron Coop, and I were there. And Euler took us out to this field, and it was just, it was just a patch of dirt. It was just, it was just mud. And he said, "With the Lord's help, we want to build a church here." And I said, "Ron, why don't you pray?" And Ron prayed for them. And I came back a year later, and there's a building. I said, "How did this happen?" And what happened was, someone in the church donated this teeny little patch of land. I, I'm serious; like it's the size of the stage. That guy was a fall-down drunk who heard the gospel, who responded, got into the Word, started growing. He's now the, what they would call the chairman or we would call the moderator of their church, donated the land, built the trustes for the building. It's an amazing story of transformation in one guy's life. That's okay. I think someone's Bible app is reading to them. It's quite okay. It's quite alright. So, get to know your cloud of witnesses. Get mentored in Scripture. Get mentored in the Bible. I always say, it's great to listen to podcasts or, or find people that can help you or, or listen to messages. And You know that all our messages are online. If you miss one, you can go back and listen to it. But you need to more than just count on Bible teachers. You need to learn to feed Yourself, You've got to learn to feed yourself. That's part of that maturing process, right? From infant, child, young adult, and so on. You've got to learn to feed yourself. You and I get about 30 or 40 minutes together a week. That is if we're both here every Sunday. There's a Sunday I'm gone and a Sunday you're gone. And you add it up. It's not that many hours in a year that we're together. So you're going to starve if this, is, if this 30 minutes, 40 minutes is your only meal, you're going to starve. Learn to feed yourself. You hear me talking about it all the time, our R&R journal. It's one method, there are others. But get to a place where you can get on a plan, read the Bible daily, and interact with it. Let it teach you, let it work in your heart, and so you can respond to it. You can hear what God is saying, and you know what's God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? Learn to feed yourself. I like writing because it helps me interact with Scripture. I'm super distracted, and so it's about the only way that I can even get through it. For others, it's just not your style. That's okay. The goal is not Bible knowledge. Listen, there's plenty of people who know everything about the Bible. The goal is not Bible knowledge. The goal is to know Jesus, the living Word. The best way to do that is... Starts here. Listening. Letting the Holy Spirit teach you. The Bible is true and it's trustworthy and it's essential to your life of faith. So get to know your cloud of witnesses. They're all through here. They're all through here. It's wonderful. place to get mentored. The other takeaway I give you is this. Is to get ready to run the race with your team get ready to run the race with your team it's a following jesus is a team sport it is it's a great book about that it's called church is a team sport we run it as a team because the witnesses are not cheering just for you as an individual they're cheering on the whole team and you represent your team because you're dressed in the team uniform. As a follower of Jesus, you wear the team uniform. I heard a great story this week about someone in our church who's, who's wearing a Bethany Church t-shirt. And it led to, they were in an, in a, in an appointment with a doctor. And it turns out the doctor is a believer And the doctor at the end of the appointment. says, well, why don't you pray for us before we go? Like, that started with a t-shirt. We wear the uniform of Jesus. We wear his robe of righteousness. We're dressed and the team. I, I sometimes get to drive the church van, for better or for worse. Janice, are you pastor knows all about this, right? And uh, Lou Wilkinson from our church picked up our Philippines team from the airport in San Francisco, coming back, and I was just like, man, Lou is just really holding it to speed limit. Like, he's being so responsible. Everybody else is passing us. I'm like, come on, step on it. Let's go. Right. And at some point, he says, "You know, the only problem of driving the church van is that the name is on the outside." I'm like, "Oh, yeah." It's probably the best thing for my driving to have a church thing on the outside. It used to say, "Follow me to Bethany Church" on the back, and then someone peeled those stickers off. I think it was Janice. Now listen, identity is important. You have an identity as a follower. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have an identity as a follower of Christ. Now we typically think about our identity as what you do. Oh, what do you do for a living? Right? It's the first question we ask somebody. We, we kind of identify them by, by their trade or by their occupation, by their education. But your, your identity isn't really so much about what you do. I don't think Jesus really minds too much. If you're a plumber or a... Pastor, teacher, doctor, that's not important. It's your identity is who are you? Who, who are you really? Where, 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 what do you value? Where, who are your people? What's your tribe? And you walked in here today and you said, oh, I'm just going to church. Uh-uh. You know what happened this morning? this fragmented, scattered body of Christ reassembled. You came back together to get a little strengthening up, a little nourishing, have a few laughs, sing some songs together, support one another. In a few minutes, we're going to scatter back out. A few of you are going to get together tomorrow night at a Bible study. Some of the young adults are going to get together for the young adult. Group meets tonight here. So, you'll get together in pockets and then next week, that fragmented body is going to come back together. Your identity is as a part of the body of Christ. And you carry that with you where you go. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we drive the church van too fast. All right. Sometimes I wear my church hat and I find I'm scowling when I should be smiling. Look, I'm not talking about being fake. I'm just talking about recognizing who you are. Run the race with your team. Run the race with your team. Understand your identity and run that way in that uniform. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says this. Anyone who belongs to Christ to become a new person, the old life has gone, the new has begun. That means that's your identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a new person. Yeah, Brian, but I still struggle with sin. I know, but you're a new person in Christ. Yeah, Brian, but I've got all these... You know, I know. Yeah, Brian, but that... Yeah, I get it. But I, I just don't know enough. That's not the, that's not the point. You've got the team uniform. You're a new person in Christ. Run the race with your team. Understand who you are in Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we want you on the team. This is not for, for our benefit only. It's for your benefit, but you, we need you. You belong. We want you to say, Jesus, I, I trust you as the Lord and leader of my life. I trust you to forgive my sin and make me a new person. If that's you, you know, in, a, in a month or so, we're going to have a baptism here and, and people are going to say, I'm on Team Jesus. Some of you wonder, well, what does that mean even practical? Let me give you one simple example of how that can work. When you gather back as the church, when you gather back as the body, when you gather back as the team. What, okay, so I hear a message, we sing some songs together, and then I, I just walk out and I kept it all closed in. I understand, but you know that every Sunday we have people here available to pray with you. About two or three people over on the side. Most weeks it's about the loneliest task at church. I get that. But it's not, doesn't need to be that way. Here's what happens when you arrive and you say, I got a big decision to make. I'm going to go pray with somebody who's going to help me. Or, oh, something really great happened this week. I just want to thank Jesus. You got somebody you can go pray with. Oh, man. I am just clashing with my son or my daughter. We're just not getting along. you got someone to go pray with. Oh, man, I just got news about my cousin and she's got cancer and I'm just so discouraging. you got someone to pray with. That's one way that we can help one another in the body of Christ. I encourage you to make use of that. We've, they're available for you. In fact, during our closing song, I'm going to ask about four or five prayer team members to be available on the side. Worship Jim, I'm going to invite you to come back and join us here on stage. We've got one more song we're going to sing. Listen, you've got a cloud of witnesses. They want you to win. They want you to run with endurance. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. We're going to talk about stripping off weights and untangling ourselves from sin. I want you to be here for that. Don't miss it. But you're not alone. You've got a cloud of witnesses all around you and you've got the body that you're part of right now. Let's stand together as we just pray and then we'll go into this song. God, I thank you that you've, you've not created a bunch of individual robots, but you've made new people, new creations, new creatures, new, new life. But we're not even meant to do it individually. We're meant to do it together corporately as your body. Lord, I feel like we got so much to learn about that. But I thank you that you're helping us. We love you, Lord. I just invite you to just impress upon us in a fresh way today what it means to be on your team, what it means to be dressed in your uniform. Lord, we just need that. And churches, there's there's some of you here you're feeling right now, you've, you you look down yourself, you say, my, my uniform's a mess. It does not look good at all. I... I've spilled all over it. I just want you to know Jesus came to wash you clean. And there's, there's no limit to His grace for you. If you say, Jesus, look at me. I, I, I walked through the mud this week. God, I just, I, I just blew it so hard. I just want you to know, He just says, come back. Just come back. Some of you just need to say, Jesus... I just receive your forgiveness. I want to start fresh again today. Holy Spirit, we sing, but Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, just fill me afresh so I can follow you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your great love for us. Amen.